Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. This is Brian Lamar. I am the Chief Insights Officer at EMI Research Solutions. And this is Brian Peterson, who is our Digital Marketing Director at EMI Research Solutions. And also an award winner this year. Yep. You won an award. And now maybe it's time to announce that another coworker won an award. Yeah, it's probably been out there now for a little while. Our coworker, Angelica Jump, was named to the Significant Insights 30 un- global 30 under 30. Got to get the global in there. Yeah, that was a higher bar. There's people yeah. from Germany, from UK, Australia, all over the world. And she's worked hard for it. And one thing that I tell people when she's really involved in our chapter's diversity and inclusion committee, and that's her day job is running projects all day long and complicated projects and leading an overseas team. Yep. And then she leads our diversity team internally, and she's very involved with our chapter. And that was probably, I'm assuming you submitted her, and you had a lot of glowing words to say about her with all the other stuff she does. It's amazing. And she's also amazing to work with and a good person. And um, so well-deserved. I'm really happy for her. We haven't talked to her yet, though. Um, she's out of office while she's getting this award, so we can't get pictures of her. But um, I'm sure she's really happy and proud of that. Well-deserved. Yes, I agree. You're right. I did submit her for that. I had to go yeah. back and remember when I did it. It was way, way back in April. Oh, really? Yeah. So right. well, we knew cool. she was a nominee because we had her blog. Uh, the blog was published back in September, but they they had announced finally the who the finalists were and the winners on November 30th. Awesome. Well, good for her. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit uh, kind of a quasi-normal episode. We're going to talk news, but we're kind of continuing our AI discussion. And so this is all AI news. And yeah. if you're thinking, well, how long have you been keeping all of this news? Not that long. This is right. all, <laughs> I think I found all these and they all run in the last 10 days or so from when we're recording this. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, keep in mind, we're not AI experts. Mm-mm. We goof around with it the past year. We found some good uses of it. We're in no means experts in AI, probably like a lot of our listeners, not experts in AI, but know it's out there, looking for ways to use it, trying to understand how the industry is using it, best practices for it. We're on the same boat. And um, so apologize if we sound, this is, might be one of those episodes that we listen to in two years. We're like, what were we talking about? Like the yeah. COVID one? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Don't go back and listen to that one. That one's, <laughs> that one's a black stain. Um, so um, hopefully you're all along for the ride with us. And if you have any feedback you'd like to come on, let us know. But yeah, a lot of AI discussion for this episode. Yeah. You want to jump right into it? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, before the we get to the first news story, I want to get your opinion on the – we'll call the soap opera that is open AI that has been going yeah. on. So, um, yeah. So should we get set it up that? I, I think so. Okay. My understanding is that the CEO was sacked and he was going to go to Microsoft. And then basically there was a giant revolt. Yes. That, I don't know what percentage of people were going to quit, but. I think it's up to 95% of the employees. What I read was in the 90s. We're going to walk out with him. And then the board, who I guess sacked him, all of a sudden they get sacked and replaced. And then there's this, we're going to bring the CEO back. 
And that's kind of what happened at a high level, and, right? And the announcement of it was came out of nowhere. It was like yeah. normal news day. Oh, by the way. Yeah. So I don't know. OpenAI has been, you know, the rage of buzz in the past, I don't know, nine months to a year. I got the alert that it has now been a year. Yeah. Hard to think about that. That's only been 12 months. So much drama. That was a crazy story to follow. If you are using OpenAI, especially probably if you're have an API with something OpenAI. Um, um, fascinating, this real world that, ha- that happened. I don't even know how that happens. That happens so quick and out of nowhere to me that in the re- did you see the reason why they it was initially it was very generic that he wasn't open with the board or something like that like yeah. what it had something to do with a project they were working on right apparently they uncovered some sort of project that they said might be some sort of doomsday <laughs> i'm telling you what did i i said this way back last year about skynet and so oh who knows what's going to happen but I guess OpenAI is back stable for now and widely used. We use it. I use it every day. Use it probably most days, if not every day. Unless um, something has changed from the point we've recorded this to when we've released it. Yeah, which is possible. Um, a lot of people use it every day. Getting from goofing off, moving from a, a, a spectrum of goofing off to um, minor help. So now I think we found some really cool use cases of it. It's, I would say major help in many ways. Um, we'll have some blogs next this week, Insights Takeover Week, that we used OpenAI to not only write, but to write it in an, almost a different language. I don't even think you're aware of this. I, I'm not. You'll find out in a I'm little bit. Yeah. You'll find out a little bit, but I'll just mention it. We'll get your live reaction. A lot of what we're doing, you probably have a little bit of a heads up. A lot of what we're doing is research among Americans about Canada. Fantastic. And it's we ask questions like who's your favorite Canadian? Who's your least favorite Canadian? And we're you know, it's it's kind of fun. Did you know this person was Canadian? Yeah, did you know this person was Canadian? We have a we created a fake Canadian movie. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Um it's the um Apology Olympics. Oh yeah, (laughs) you showed me that, yeah. And it's all we've had a running joke at EMI that O'Brien is Canadian. Well, I guess I guess you're still Canadian. You're both Canadian and you're an American. Yep. We've joked around with Brian about being Canadian, and we thought it'd be fun for Insights Takeover Week. Ask a few questions about Canada, and we wrote some of the blogs. By the way, we asked it to be very stereotypical Canadian language, and it's pretty funny. And Jared, Jared was like, "Is this too much?" Because it's almost. It's ridiculous, kind of one of these blogs, and you know, at, at the end of the day, you're going to see it, and you'll probably you'll have some rights of refusal, obviously. Okay. But, um, I don't think it's too far, but I would love feedback from the readers. You're when you're, if you're right now listening to this, hopefully this blog has been released. <laughs> it may not have been, but um, you know, it's just we're doing research. We asked a bunch of Americans about Canada. Um, we looked at it by different demos and wrote it in Canadian-ish language, which is similar to it's, I mean, English. It's English, right? Yeah. Um, but it's kind of funny to think about. And so um, that's going to be part of Insights Takeover Week. And we spent way too much time doing this. 
way, way too much time designing this and doing some really cool um, charts and blogs about it. Jared and I are actually talking here shortly about this, so I, I'm going to actually get more information after we record this. Yeah, yeah. So it's I think it's cool. We'll see. We'll see what this goes. <laughs> so we know there's a line with Insights Takeover Week. We know if we cross it, we will never have another Insights Takeover Week. Correct. Last year, we didn't cross it last year. I think we did pretty well. This year, we're getting closer to the line, and we'll see where how close we are. <laughs> and hopefully you enjoy it. We love feedback on it, though. Read a couple of our blogs. Read a couple of our tweets. <laughs> And see what we have to say. But not only we're not just this is not a week of make fun of Canada. This is a week of insights having a different kind of spin on what Brian already does. And mm-hmm. see some fun facts from our research and research and some very relevant stuff, maybe presented a little bit different way, sometimes in a more humorous way. Um, just just to get some, you know, some traffic out there, have a different little voice when it's not super risky in mid-December, probably. Last year, right. I think we did between Christmas and New Year's. You, and this you did year, do it between get... Christmas and New Year's, and I was off. So. Yeah, and this year is the – we got bumped to, like, the first week of December, which is, oh, a much better time frame, but still kind of in that holiday season-ish. And, um, yeah, we'd seriously love any – I guess we'll see what – you'll see it in the metrics, what kind of impact it has, what kind of feedback we get. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. This was not what this episode is about at all. No. Should we actually jump into the AI <laughs> news now? Let's do that. For that little right. commercial about yeah. Takeover Week, now we'll talk about artificial intelligence. Yeah. First up, new research from Ofcom has found that four out of five teens aged 13 to 17 use generative AI tools. Um, it also found 40% of children seven to 12 were using generative AI compared to just 31% of adults who they qualified as anybody age 16 or older. The most popular AI tool with the, with teens and we'll call children here is Snapchat, my AI, which is used by a whopping 51% of seven to 17 year olds. If you're a teen girl, 75%. This compares to just 23% of the people who 16 or older use chat GPT. Yeah. First of all, this is really good research. Interesting and relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I had not heard, I'm not a Snapchat, Snapchat user. So I was unaware yeah. of the Snapchat, my AI. Yeah, I'm aware of it. I don't know what it does. I know it's there. Um, first of all, I think it's exciting that the, this generation, which we'll name at some point soon, they're the, Kind of like how we have the generation that grew up with mobile devices in their hand, and they're different than other people because they only know the internet, they only know tablets, they only know smartphones. This next generation is going to know; they will not know a world before artificial intelligence, which is really really makes me feel old. Their world is more similar to Star Trek and Star Wars than our world, certainly, which was, you know, that was a that was yeah. a fantasy. Now it's not so much fantasy. So first of all, happy for that this younger generation is adopting it, even if they're just kind of playing around on, on Snapchat. That's how you kind of learn all this stuff, right? You play around and then you become experts in it, and they will become experts very quickly. They will surpass their the generation above them really quickly at some point because that's all they know is is using artificial intelligence and shortcuts and efficiencies and how to leverage it and probably how to build it. And 
best practices and they'll be able to outsmart their teachers and their bosses and other people because mm -hmm. us older people are, you know, our learning curve is a little bit different than them. So first of all, I'm excited about it. What do you, how do you feel? I was just kind of surprised by the like high numbers in there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 51 and the 75% and then the four out of five teens. I'm like, Oh my. Yeah. Particularly in that 40% of children, seven to 12. Yeah. My daughter is right in the middle of that. So, yeah. yeah. Keeping um, in mind, they have coding stuff they do in school now. Like, oh, there's program. Wow. I'm like, I literally watched her do that. Oh, I have coding homework tonight, Dad. I went, what? Yeah. yeah. You're going to use, you're going to have, people are going to have, parents are going to have to use generative AI just to check the homework of the kids that are using generative AI to do their homework. Um, you say that. So over Thanksgiving, my brother-in-laws were in town for Thanksgiving. Um, I will preface this that they are both – they are 10 and 12 years younger than myself and my wife, um, and they actually had South Park on one night, and it was apparent – I have not watched South Park in years. I barely get time to watch anything. Well, yeah. they had one that was ChatGPT. Oh, they have a new one. Okay, cool. They have one about ChatGPT and how everyone was using it in the class to do all the assignments. And one of the kids was using it to respond to his girlfriend's texts. And yeah. then the principal came in, was hunting them. People, they're going to find out who was using it and they were going to expel them. It was a whole thing. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's happening. Uh, one thing about this I just read was this is through YouGov. 2,000 participants, and this was in June. Oh. This survey took place in June, which is a different world sure. than today. <laughs> so add about 15, 20% to those numbers? Yeah, and hopefully add more to the adults. Yeah. Um, which was a little low, but I guess I understand it. But nobody over, not many people over the age of about 60, you know, this is foreign to them probably. Right. But yeah, really interesting, and I think it is Hopefully provides some hope in the future, but it's also a little scary. I agree. Next up, Unilever has launched an AI research lab in Toronto with the aim of generating new AI concepts, designs, and projects to be used across its businesses. This is in addition to having already applied AI across its marketing, supply chain, R&D, and customer service functions. Yeah, this is, this is what I... Um... I'm probably a little bit ignorant towards is how brands, big brands like Unilever are, are leveraging it. And they use this, you know, like you said, in past tense. We've already done it, leveraged it in marketing, supply chain, R&D, and customer service. They've already done this. So th this is yeah, not yeah. a new concept to them, right? Unilever is a giant global company. They probably have a lot of smart people leveraging this. And now they say the global Unilever operations data analytics team has built this lab working with other academics, startups, and other partners on AI research projects. That's crazy. That's awesome. Hopefully they go public with all the stuff they're doing because it sounds really cool to me. Uh, really cool press release. Makes me want to buy Unilever stock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking that they put it in Canada. I'm not sure why, but um, it's in Canada. Didn't add this to our ROR. But yeah, this is kind of fascinating. I, I, I want to see more of these kind of press releases. This is probably a million, million of them a day. I have to look for them. Uh, but just how brands are leveraging them because 
this will impact how we're doing research with these brands too. Well, to address why it's in Toronto, Toronto actually has a pretty big tech hub. That's why. Ah, that's why. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. And cheap labor, given the dollar. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know what the dollar is right now. <laughs> oh. All right. You ready for the next one? Yes. All right. SiteX has launched a new generative AI, quote, consultant called Ada. It can provide advice on which experiments to run and build projects to provide users the best audience to target. It sounds like a market research consultant to me. And that's why I know they used the quote consultant. Yes, it's in quotes. Um, well, this is very possible. I mean, when ChatGPT released the ability to create your own GPTs a few weeks ago, um, we've started to create our own. Yep. Um, I built one that knows a lot about marketing research from um, best way to sample to understanding um, complex analytics to understanding best practices and how to build a screener to understand. I, I put all of our blogs that we've written, all of our white papers, all everything we've kind of written from a knowledge base standpoint, it knows that. And I think this is similar to what they're doing is that I can, or someone can ask it anything and um, I've tested it. It does a pretty good job of answering it. In fact, it's sometimes it's better than me because I'm imperfect. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, ChatGPT remembers everything where I might only remember 90% or 80% if I'm, you know. And so this is very possible. I would encourage people to start thinking about this for whatever. Um, there's lots of use cases. Jared is using it to, as a blog writer. Yep. Uh, mine is more of an insights expert. We're going to build one that understands our ROR. Um, I think. Mary and Quality and Partner Network is building one to understand all of our network from a very granular level. Like we can upload every panel book, every white paper, every SMR 37 questions for every panel we have, and it's at our fingertips. And so it's a quick way to kind of summarize a lot of information. If you do it right, that's the key, is to do it right with the right prompts and uh, test it because we all know it's not perfect and it's sometimes you can make stuff up. So you have to really test it. But having said that, good job for SiteX. Um, I'm glad they went public with it. And it sounds like it's really cool. They're one of the first ones I've seen actually release something. So good for them. You also had that GPT you were building to help, like, essentially sales training and help answer questions and stuff. Yeah. So we could build a training GPT that when we're in the onboard new employees, it could give them training curriculum, quizzes, and kind of walk you all the way through it. Now, it won't accomplish everything, but maybe it accomplishes 60%. I don't know. And you still have to do your normal training. Can't yep. learn everything from a from a chat bot or whatever, but um, maybe it'll make us more efficient. That's what we're looking for is efficiency. So maybe this will make us train people in half the time that it normally did, or it gives them more resources where they don't have to ask somebody a question. They can ask this a question. Right. So, but yeah, we, we're thinking about it lots of different ways. I hope everybody is. I, if you're thinking about it really cool ways, let us know because we're, like I said earlier, we're just kind of playing around and, you know, we could probably spend, each of us could, if we wanted to, could spend 40 hours a week doing this, but we have day jobs and we kind of play around and find time to do it and, and listen to others and learn from others and, and try to get better and more efficient. And that's probably what a lot of people are doing. Yep. Um, so I'd probably use it two hours a week maybe now. 
for strong, heavy worker-related topics, probably a couple hours a week. Image creation is a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, you can get really cool image creation if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, it's kind of it doesn't make any sense. Well, if you don't you know what you're doing, you get what you got today that you showed at the company meeting. It was fantastic. People's faces were melting. <laughs> you know, one thing that I've learned is that the Dolly, which is the chat GPT image creation version, is excellent at doing some things, but it misspells words 95% of the time. Even if you tell it how to spell it. I know. <laughs> intentionally. And the faces are just, I don't know, it's like they're, yeah, like you said, they're melting. And it's odd. And I think that maybe it's not intentionally to help with deep fakes. I don't know. But yeah, I introduced a slide today and people laughed at it, but it was just kind of a show. You kind of do some cool stuff with it. Now, if the faces weren't melting, it was a good, it was a good kind of collage, but it looked like it was from a horror movie. <laughs> yes. <sighs> All right. Next one. Stagwell, the Marcom group has partnered with Google to develop generative AI solutions to support its network of agencies, clients, and product development teams. That is using Stagwell's marketing cloud. The potential services will include translation for market research and survey solutions. This might be better for you. They'll build AI-based tools as a strategic cloud and AI provider. I don't – how do you feel this is going to be used? So I think you have you have different routes. The internal as part of their agencies, it's going to be in, make efficiencies, be able to incorporate that into like their cloud, their marketing cloud software. And so – be able to make things more efficient while you're working in there. The clients, same kind of aspect. Okay, well, you're using it in there. You might have that built into some of the reportings and the auto-generating of reports that in maybe quicker and more real time. Yeah. I The one I'm not quite sure about is the product development teams, but maybe that is around kind of where you get into like synthetic respondents or – like you're building the GPTs based on certain stuff. Well, I wonder if you are a developer or a coding expert of some sort, can you use generative AI to become more efficient with coding across all the different languages, whereas people learn SQL? But maybe for some tasks, it's better to use Python or better to, and I'm ignorant of this, Use some sort of other programming language, and generative AI can help you kind of bridge across all coding languages, including some you, that you don't know. And for product development teams, that could really be beneficial that it helps you learn what the best, most efficient way to build it. It might be in one platform or might be better on a different platform using a different language, or maybe you get efficiencies across platforms. And I think inherently a lot of coders, especially experienced coders, know what they're doing. They're really good at it. But, you know, look at the way that we're building efficiencies with what we're doing. Yep. Maybe those professionals are doing the same thing and just learning, advancing so quick. I don't know. I'm just talking out loud, but maybe it's something like that, that you could do really, no. really good stuff. No, that makes sense. If you know how you're coding in one language, oh, will this be better in 
will this be more efficient, run quicker, take less memory or any of that, perform better? If you write it in this language, it could be like, yes. Can you translate? Can you convert this to that? Yeah. Can you versus having spending weeks to recode something? Yes. And can you make it so this is flexible so I can adjust it later or make it more concise? This is 10,000 lines of code. Can you make it 8,000 lines? I don't know. That, I think that there will be a lot of use cases in this world that I don't really understand. I know very little about, yeah. but let's see, I think I feel like we got the answer. Right. I, I feel like that was a question I should have asked my brother-in-law who is in yeah. computer science and software development. Yeah, let's have probably you know what we should that. do. We should have on the podcast. You want to talk about that or is uh, Death Metal Band? Oh. He, uh, he is a very – he's an interesting sure. guy. Okay. Yeah. Already line up guests for next year. All right. Next up, Civic Science, the real-time consumer insights provider, has launched a new tool called Sage, which will tackle concerns related to trust in generative AI and deliver a, quote, reliable ally for companies seeking actionable insights from data. They say it combines AI with live statistical analysis. Um, The Sage AI users can pose questions in plain English and receive responses with detailed citations linking back to the source data in Civic Sciences Insight Store. Uh, they also say that each AI-generated response is evaluated and scored for veracity, providing an extra layer of assurance. The firm conducts live statistical analysis on the database comprising nearly 600,000 poll questions and 5 billion responses from millions of American consumers. Um, interesting. First off, I want to give a plug to John Dick. He's the CEO, and he I subscribe to a newsletter he releases. Every Saturday morning, he has a newsletter that comes out. Really cool. I'm sure you can sign up on the Civic Science webpage or reach out to him. But it's a combination of data and kind of like public opinion data and trends that Civic Science does, along with um, his personal kind of observations and he tells a lot of personal stories about him and his family. And it's really interesting. I One of my favorite newsletters I read each week. So I'm kind of a fan of him and their company. They do really cool stuff. I do find it interesting that they're using a AI to test the trust of other AI. But I guess that's where we're at. But it's, it sounds really cool. He's really smart. and They do a lot of cool stuff. So I believe what they're saying. I think it helps for the skeptical side, when particularly if you're talking about your synthetic responses or AI generated responses, one that they are evaluated and scored because you're going back on actual responses to see how well they compare to those. But also you're getting that trace back. It's not like, you know, Hey, I didn't just make this crap up. Here's it's, it's been scored. It knows it's based on this amount of data. And Oh, by the way, here are some actual responses from real life people and here's how you can get back and sort here's how they're sourced yeah and you know he mentions live analysis on a database comprising nearly 600,000 poll questions by billion responses which is true i reach out to him how does he do it it does it with a lot of like really short questionnaires in some ways he's the opposite of us he he almost doesn't believe in panels and he his questionnaires are very 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 short three to five questions so not really it's a different world than us we can't really do that in our world um, three to five questions doesn't even make sense in our world. We need no. 30 to 50. At a we're, we're lucky if the three to five are in the uh, screener. Yeah, very, very lucky. 
Um, but yeah, this is really cool stuff and um, look for more from them, I guess, for sure. Yeah. The next couple stories are we're going to take a, a more of a holistic view and talk AI regulation. So okay. you knew this was coming. Yeah. So uh, in the UK, the Minister for AI and Intellectual Property stated recently when he was at Parliament that regulation is a, quote, necessary precondition to innovation. Um, he said this in regards to the development of generative AI. He also said that the AI industry needs to embrace both innovation and safety. Yeah, it's coming. I'm not sure if I – I have less confidence in the regulatory ability of, to do it correctly than I probably do if AI can do it. We're certain to screw this up. This reminds me – I think you and I were watching the social media hearings a couple years ago. Yep. And we saw Congress, U.S. congressmen, know nothing about Facebook or Twitter or social media, and it was, you know, it was a meme. It was a, people mocked them for the questions they asked of Mark Zuckerberg, and I just don't know how our current government can put together something that's useful and relevant. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. And this applies to the UK, the US, everywhere. You know, look at our government. And we we heard the data just a second ago about people using generative AI over the age of, like adults was low. Right. Anybody over the age of 16. <laughs> right. Imagine 60-year-olds that are in charge of, quote, protecting us and putting together substantive regulations, which we need. So I hope that they're going to do this correctly. and. Um, I don't have a whole lot of confidence, unfortunately. And this is, for, I'm also a politician. Yeah. Let's keep that in mind. Well, <laughs> uh, I do believe there needs to be a check, a check and balance component of this yes. regulation of some sort. Yep. But I do agree with your point is how your current representative bodies are probably more tech illiterate than your average person. Yes. That'd be a fair statement. Yeah, I think so, yes. Um, so you almost need to ensure that they have maybe they don't aren't the ones asking the questions, but they have the people who understand it yeah. there guiding. But sometimes you do have to ask a dumb question. Yeah. Yep. I hope they have smart people on their staff and they're they need to somehow include the generative AI experts without, what is it, the, you know, letting the the prisoners run the prison or whatever that saying is. Run the patients, run the asylum. Yeah. Can we still say that? Yes, we can. Yeah. Um, there's got to be a balance there, and I hope that they're, I'm sure they recognize that these people aren't stupid. Right. Um, they're not dumb. I think they understand they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm just skeptical, but oh well. It's going to happen. Right. I, I think you need to have a balance of some of the more pro-AI people and some yeah. of the hold up here. I, yeah. I know AI, but uh, that yeah. are more the this might be Skynet kind of situation. So I, yeah. you need that balance. Absolutely. So I'm sure the U.S. is working on this, and I'm sure Howard Feinberg is all over it. 
Um, you mentioned Howard. That's going to bring up our next story. And it's kind of oh. a conglomeration of four stories, actually. Um, this oh. is from his most recent legislative newsletter that he sent oh. out as part of the AI. It came out like yesterday, and I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, so he actually – it was a little bit different. He had a breakdown on his newsletter, and I will use this as a point to uh, promote this. If you have not signed up to receive this, go do must. that. Must. Stop listening. Go do it. Come back. Um, this, this is reason enough to be a member of the Insight Association is right. understanding this. And it's not just AI. I can't believe he's tackling AI because he's tackling all the privacy and regulatory right. stuff. He has it broken down. As I was reading it, I almost thought he had California as its own section. I had to go back and like, no, nope. Just oh it, had a paragraph, but you had privacy, you had AI, you had other things going on as well. So yeah. he kind of summarized a few different AI potential laws that have been proposed. Okay. So first one. The Artificial Intelligence Research Innovation and Accountability Act, the ARIA Act. I know they're normally trying to cutesy with that. That's not one of them. This act would regulate potential risky use of AI and require transparency when providing content from generative AI. Oh, God. That sounds a little broad, but okay. Yeah, it sounds a little too broad. Um, Next one. Testing the evaluation systems for trusted Artificial intelligence, the Test AI Act, would task the National Institute of Standards and Technology with developing and testing, quote, trustworthy AI systems. Oh, I don't like this. That's subjective. <laughs> what, what, um, what constitutes a trust, trustworthy? Everybody would disagree on that. Okay, let's keep going. All right. The Assuring Safe, Secure, Ethical, and Stable Systems for AI Act, the Assess AI Act. We're getting cutesy again. I feel like some of these are just adding the letters in there so they can spell in the acronym a word. Yeah, Assess AI. Anyways, the Assess AI Act would create a task force to, quote, assess existing policy regulations and legal gaps for artificial intelligence and make rake recommendations to policymakers. Okay, that sounds a little bit more reasonable. I feel like that should come first before any of the things I've already mentioned. Yeah. And then we have another one here. The AI Labeling Act. We're not going to try to get cutesy with the acronym here. It's just the AI Labeling Act. This act would require generative AI systems to include a, quote, clear and conspicuous disclosure identifying content as AI generated that would be permanent and unable to be easily removed by subsequent users. Oh, that's a disaster. (laughs) That could be hard. I understand where this is coming from because you have copyright components, that kind of piece. I feel like that you're going to have to – I haven't read the entire verbiage of this legislation, but they're going to have to tighten that up a little bit. Yeah, this is just the highlights. So this is not a criticism of Howard. Thank no. God Howard's out there doing summarizing. How, Howard didn't write these. Howard's just saying, hey, guys, this is what's going on. And this is way beyond marketing research. But once again, we're going to be impacted by this. Um, so kudos to him. And that's really cool. 2024 is going to be an interesting year because this is going to happen. Between in election year. This is going to be great. data privacy. I mean. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. More to come on that. 
So, and to kind of bring this all back home to marketing research, the Market Research Society has published a new report called the BEST, B-E-S-T, framework for generative AI. I'm not, they didn't call it like BEST. That is the framework is called BEST. Um, It is how and when to build AI into your research processes. This report provides a framework to help researchers make strategic decisions on when and how to use AI in their projects and where to target investments. Along with this report, they also published their ethical guidelines on AI to help researchers consider the ethical design use and outputs of AI. This came out, I think, the day after Howard sent his email with all of the legislation. Thought it was timely. um yeah, very good. Um, I like it. It's just how soon does stuff become obsolete? Um, practical framework to help researchers make strategic decisions. Can we will we look back on this in two months and say, oh gosh, that's like old? Maybe they'll, I'm sure they'll continue to update it. Yeah. But I don't just, think so. I've yeah. I read actually through it. Um, it's not granular. It has left it. Okay. It's given like if it fits in this kind of category, this is where it goes kind of situation. Okay. So it's left it broad enough that it can, as AI evolves, it'll probably still. Okay. And I know that there's an ethics guidance. I like that. Yeah. Jane Frost is really good. And she's the chief executive at MRS. And um, so it's, um, yeah, download it, right? It's free. Yep. If you haven't, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Awesome. AI is like gives you energy and takes away energy when you talk about it. Yeah, because what again, what we talk about here, this may be old news by Christmas. Yeah. Um, I think the key is it's rampant in our industry. If you go to a conference, that's all anybody's talking about, and all anybody seems to be thinking about. And um, it's going to impact us. 2024 is really going to separate some companies that are leveraging this and those that aren't and those that are leveraging it the correct way and investing it correctly, which is really hard to determine. But yeah, it's, it's coming. Yeah. Well, I think you and I have talked just in the office about this, how AI for years at conferences was just the buzzword. Yeah. I feel like last year, particularly in this I guess not last year. We're still in 2023. 2023 was the year the technology finally caught up. End of 2022 into 2023, technology finally caught up with the concepts that were being discussed. Right. Yeah. So definitely caught up. And a lot of people were heavily investing in it. And, you know, just let us know here recently. (laughs) Like you don't leave her for one. Yep. Well, Non non news story piece. I did have a question for you, and this was a something that was released. I want to say two weeks ago. Did yeah. you see the humane AI pin? No. So you keep mentioning Star Trek. This is a device that they have launched that they want to disrupt the cell phone industry. Okay. It is a a pin essentially about the size of a. Bluetooth headphone case, maybe smaller. Okay. That is directly linked into ChatGPT. It will make phone calls for you. It will do text messages. If you want to read something, you put your hand out and it does a display onto your hand. But, and then all of your search function, because it's connected to ChatGPT, it's like a voice assistant. And looking at it, it's very reminiscent of the Star Trek communicators. And this is showing my nerd right here. 
as I am, grew up being a Trekkie, where you would hit the button, that kind of communicator. That's essentially yep. what this is. Okay, cool. So if yeah. anybody has not seen that, go check it out. Do I, my personal opinion, do I think it's going to disrupt the phone industry? No, I think it's a little too late. I think we do, our phones are so much more than phones now. It'll be yeah. real hard for it to take over that. I mean, whether you're playing game, it's your Game Boy, it's your banking thing, it's your credit card, it's right. It's it's beyond just making phone calls and reading text messages and looking stuff up on the internet. Yeah. So, okay, cool. but yeah, if anyone hasn't seen that, go take a look. They launched it at a at a tech fair. Okay. Good to see that you're on top of this stuff. All right. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I'm sure we'll do a lot of episodes on artificial intelligence in 2024. More to come. If you ever want to be a guest, have something specific to talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about how AI affects data quality, how it impacts us more specifically from a research company. And as always, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.